Exodus 20. Let's stand as we read from God's word this morning. Genesis 20, and we'll just go ahead and read the whole chapter here. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called to Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done things to me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did did this thing? And Abraham said, I did it because I I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother." Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all, all who are with you. And before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and his female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. I think that it's a product of my homeschool years, but... Ever so often, I get this, um, this urge to bake. And, and it's nothing extravagant. It's the occasional cake. It's the occasional batch of cookies. Earlier this year, I took a, a very big step, and I made a pie. 
very first time. It was actually edible. My greatest moment, though, came several, many years ago when I decided that, that chocolate chip cookies needed to be made. It was something that my mom usually did on Sunday afternoons. We'd have chocolate chip cookies, and my friends and I, after church, we'd enjoy those things. And I just got this weird hankering for chocolate chip cookies. So I, I, I couldn't find a recipe, and it was before looking things up on the internet was kind of a thing. And so I, I kind of I pieced together a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and I, I, I mixed it together and, and threw it in the oven, and out came these amazing chocolate chip cookies. And it wasn't just me who liked these things. I, I shared them with my, my, my wife, and she's like, these are really good. I took them to work, and they're like, these are amazing cookies. Like, so, so I went back home, and I wrote down the recipe in as much detail as I could. And in the weeks and months that followed, I made these things again and again and again. And they were delicious until one day they weren't. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong with these cookies. And so I made one batch, and it just completely wiped out. It was terrible. They were awful. And then I realized, I think I, instead of flour, maybe I used um, powdered sugar. Maybe that was a problem. So, so I threw everything in the trash, and then I remade everything. And I thought, okay, these are going to turn out great. And they were terrible. So I, so I gave up, and then a week or two later, I tried again, and again, they were awful. And, and I got to this point where I'm like, this recipe is absolutely no good, and, and now it's, it's still in the box, you know, you have those little recipe boxes, it's still in the box, but I don't use it anymore. I don't use it anymore, because consistency is key, right? It's key. It's key to a recipe. It's key for a ball player. It's key for that golf stroke. It's key in a car, right? If you don't have consistency, if you don't have dependability, if you don't have faithful performance that you can count on, well, then it's not much good to you. Or it's, it's not, what you, not as good as you wish it could be, or maybe as good as you, you need it to be. You need this thing to work. And when it comes to our faith and faithfulness to God, the, the same is kind of true. God values our faithfulness, and he desires for us to persist. It's actually one of the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? It's one of those things that having the Spirit of God within us is supposed to just produce. We're called to walk by the Spirit, not indulge our, uh, the desires of our flesh, and we're supposed to have produce in our lives the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Hebrews 10.23 says this, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let's consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're to hold fast to that confession of hope without wavering. That means we're to be faithful. Faithful. The things that we believe, the truths that we, in which we find our, our hope, we're to keep a tight grip on those things so that we don't find ourselves unfaithful in our thinking, in our speaking, in our doing. 
And notice that we're to be stirring one another up in their faith so that together we're all increasingly being built up and looking more and more like Jesus. That's what it's about, right? We've been walking through Genesis each week. And as we've been doing it, we've been keeping a close eye on this man named Abraham. He's a man who was called by God out of the darkness of pagan moon worship and told to go to a place that God would reveal to him that he was going. And it was a relationship that he was brought into. And that relationship was based on trust. We're told that Abraham's belief in God, his trust in God, well, that was counted to him as righteousness. We learn that in 15.6. It began with him setting out on this journey, the journey to which God would disclose to him uh, the end later on. And as time went on, we saw Abraham growing in his faith. He starts taking steps of faith. He starts boldly telling others about God. He starts worshiping God in public. He goes to these places where all kinds of pagan worship is going on, and he's building up altars, and he's gathering his community together, and they're worshiping God and praising him. He's courageously, remember, courageously charging into harm's way, trusting God that God is going to protect him from those armies that took his nephew Lot. And then he's experiencing such such intimacy with God that he, he even feels like he can plead with God on behalf of others. Do you remember that just a couple weeks ago? The picture that we've been getting of this man Abraham is a picture of someone who is maturing in their faith. It's a picture of a spiritual person. A spiritual man. This is a guy that you might want to look up to, that you might admire, that you might want to actually pattern your life after to some extent. And yet, what we find here in chapter 20, it solidifies in our minds that there was an area of Abraham's life that when it was met with the right set of circumstances, it led him to fail in his faithful trust and obedience to God. There was a point, a point of weakness that was just prone to a particular type of pressure. And when the flood waters rose, kind of like an old bridge, he just finds himself collapsing. What happens when we fail? What are the consequences of unfaithfulness? Let's get into our passage this morning. We see in verse 1, Abraham continued to be a traveling man. That's what he does. He journeys down toward the Negev desert, spends some time between Kadesh and Shur. You see it up there on the map. And then he travels to this place called Gerar. And if you can see the map well enough, you realize that this is Philistine territory. This is a place where the people there, they don't honor and love the God of Abraham. As was Egypt beforehand in chapter 12, this place, Gerar, it was a place of uncertainty. Now, Abraham wasn't exactly sure what he was going to be met with, what the people were going to be like, what they would do to him and his family, what the king would do. 
And those were the circumstances that pressed upon Abraham's weakness. Are there certain circumstances in your life, in my life, that press upon us in just the right way, that they become sources of temptation? Are there certain environments you find yourself in from time to time, and you know that your faithfulness as a Christian, that's going to be tested? Maybe it's when you find yourself receiving some sort of bad news, maybe from a doctor or a boss, or a family member, or a teacher. Maybe an unexpected bill came in the mail, and that's the time of testing. Maybe it's when you discover that someone near and dear to you has failed you. They made promises to you, and those promises just went out the window. Or maybe a close friendship Someone you were relied upon and loved doing life with for so many years, and they move away, or something happens to them, and that friendship is not going to be the same anymore. Or maybe it's children that are just driving you bonkers. Parents, right? Maybe it's during those moments when you find yourself alone. No one's around, no one's looking, no one can hear, no one knows the kind of behavior that you're tempted to get into. Or maybe it's something as simple, the pressure is as simple as just the change in the weather. That unexpected heat wave hits and man, you're just like, Ugh! and your whole day is ruined and it's a source, becomes a source of temptation. In Abraham's case, it was an environment of uncertainty to which his heart responded by urging him to be afraid, to fear. Abraham feared. That's exactly what he does here. Instead of trusting God, that God would, was fully aware of the change in circumstances which, with he, which, which he found himself in, instead of relying on God, knowing that God is completely able to protect him, to provide for him, to sustain him through this season while he's in this place, instead of that, he allows fear to just take control, to grip him and take control of him. Why, Abraham? Why? Why don't you know by now that God has got things under control? Don't you remember that he was able to give you victory over those armies? They were armies from the east that captured your nephew Lot, and God gave you victory there. Don't you remember that? Abraham, don't you remember how God listened to and responded to your prayers for Lot and his family? in the cities in which they were, they were finding themselves. Don't you remember, Abraham, you just went through this in Egypt. Do you remember how that went? Do you remember how you, you chose to rely on yourself and everything just went to pieces? It told, went totally sideways. What were you thinking? And yet, what did God do? He rescued you. He blessed you. He brought out, you out of it. He showed grace to you. Abraham, don't you remember? Abraham, you've seen time and time again how God is going to do whatever it takes to make sure that the promise that he, he is going to bring about through you, remember that promise. He's going to do whatever it takes to make sure that plan stays in play. Nothing happens to it. Nothing gets in the way of it. He's going to bring about what he said he would. But instead, 
Verse 2, Abraham said to his wife Sarah, uh, said said of Sarah, his wife, he's talking to Abimelech, he says, she's my sister. She is my sister. And you might be thinking, here we go again. And you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Abraham, what are you doing? And yet before we get up on our high horses and start looking down at this man named Abraham, we got to remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 7. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye where there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We're all familiar with that passage, right? Or what about this one? Paul in Romans 2 says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. The reality for me, and I assume the reality for all of you, is that when we cast fingers of judgment in Abraham's direction, we might as well be casting judgment right on ourselves because the accuser stands accused and guilty. I can accuse Abraham of unfaithfulness till the sun burns out, but how many times has my heart led me to respond to my circumstances in a way that's not honoring to God? Too many times. How many times have I failed to trust? How many times have I failed to obey? How many times has the opportunity presented itself and I've actually gladly run to do the things that I know that I shouldn't do? And how many times have I made promises to God saying, God, this will never happen again? And those promises have been broken. Have you found yourself in Peter's shoes? Peter's shoes? Remember Mark 14, Jesus predicted all his disciples would fall away. And then Peter objects and he says, even though they all fall away, I will not. Peter was the first to say that, but you know what? All the rest of the disciples very quickly said the same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, Jesus, we won't fall away from you. And then later, later on, as Jesus is being tried, Peter is exposed by just a young girl. He says, you, you were a follower of Jesus. You're a Galilean. Yeah, you were a follower of Jesus. And what does he do? He immediately denies it once. And moments later, he denies it again and again. The turnaround time between Peter's declaration of faithfulness and his blatant unfaithfulness is just staggering. And yet, how often do we find ourselves even praising God in church, and then the very next few moments, all of a sudden, we're off and running in a completely different direction. Abraham, Abraham. We are cut from the same cloth, you and I. Time and time again, I forget that God knows my circumstances. I forget that he knows when I sit and when I rise up. He knows my thoughts from far off. 
He knows the words that I'm going to say even before they are on my tongue. I can't go anywhere or be in any place that he is not, Psalm 139. I believe God. My trust is in Jesus. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And yet when the circumstances are just right, I find myself un faithful. And that's where Abraham found himself in a place of uncertainty. Abraham gave in to his fears. He failed to trust. Instead, he trusts in his own scheme. You remember the scheme? The scheme in Egypt? The scheme here? It's all the same. He tells Abimelech about it in verse 13. When God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, said to his wife, this is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. The plan was to lie. To lie. Every time they entered this new territory, Abraham had his wife tell people, we're, we're brother and sister. We're not married. And it was only a half lie, right? Because they both had the same father, but different mothers. Okay. But it was still a lie. And you might be thinking, I've got, I've got a problem with Abraham right here. Abraham, was this really necessary? Do you know how old your wife is? She's 99 years old. And you're still worried? I think that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, I have to admit that... Uh, the last few years that my grandmothers were alive, I, I never for once thought that some young guy was going to come by and, and snatch them away. <laughs> Maybe take their purse, but not, you know. But apparently Abraham and, 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 and by, by he and his wife's behavior and taking into account that during this time people were living longer We've got to assume that even though she is well beyond the age of having children, because remember when the two angels said, you know, she's going to have a, a child, she laughed. Even though she still must have been very, very attractive. Abimelech apparently thought so. He found it uh, necessary to add her to his, um, his team. Uh, so... So Sarah and Abraham lie in an uncertain place, riddled with fear of the, the circumstances were favorable for them to give in to this temptation and be found unfaithful. And what I'd like to do just rather quickly for the rest of our time together is just, just talk about the consequences of that unfaithfulness. Because so very often, one of the reasons that, it, that enables my unfaithfulness is... is the consequences just go out of sight. They just kind of diminish or they're, they're not very big and not very important. I think, you know, this is, this is not something that's going to affect anyone really in the grand scheme of things. And yet the consequences are, are rather drastic. Abraham's decision here in chapter 20, it impacts his wife, Sarah. Impacts her in a big way. He says, this is a kindness you must do to me. Can't you just see the the, the husband coming alongside his wife and saying, come on, dear, I need you to do, you need to take care of me here. Do this for me. Come on, if you love me, will you do this for me? At every place we come, say, say I'm your brother. 
What a sad thing to ask a spouse. If you love me, put your personal purity, put our marriage on the line so that no harm will come to me. What an awful thing to suggest. That's a terrible thing for anyone, let alone a man of God is suggesting this. Imagine what that would do to their relationship. Imagine how that would affect Sarah's respect for her husband. Oh yeah, you trust God? (laughs) Imagine the impact it would have had on her ability to trust him, to love him, to want to be close to him. But again, before we're too quick to point a finger at Abraham, let's consider ourselves, husbands, wives. We've got to know that our faithfulness or lack thereof, it has an impact. It has an impact on each other. It has an impact on our children. Are we intentionally nurturing our relationship with God, seizing those opportunities to grow Grow in our faith as we read God's word, as we, we make time to get on our knees and pray. Are we doing that or are we allowing weakness to creep in, to seep into our lives, continually, continually allowing ourselves to give in, to give way, to compromise, to unfaithfulness? Because the, we haven't prepared ourselves, we haven't guarded ourselves against certain circumstances, certain environments. Your spouse and your children are watching you. They're learning from you. They're continually understanding more and more from you what it means to be a faithful follower of Christ. And their relationships with God, they can be wounded because of you and I, can't they? And the same weaknesses that we fail to address in our own lives, well, those can become areas of unfaithfulness for our children as well. And you might be saying, well, I'm not married, so this really doesn't apply to me. Well, actually, it does. It doesn't matter if you're single either. You're not off the hook. Your classmates, your coworkers, your friends, your roommates, your neighbors, they can be impacted by your unfaithfulness as, as well. In the case of Abraham, not only was Sarah impacted, but Abimelech and all his household are impacted. To protect his plan and bring about the promised one that, that God had promised, that God threatens Abimelech here. Verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. And so for taking Sarah, God cut off Abimelech's potential for his family line to continue. All of the women can no longer have children. We find that out at the very end of this chapter. That's what happened. Abimelech himself becomes ill in some way. And yet the impact on Abimelech, it goes even further than that. It goes further than just physical health. It's deeper. Notice Abimelech's reaction to what Abraham had done. Verse 9, then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done things to You have done to me things that ought not be done. This king is shocked. And remember, this is a pagan king. He didn't love Abraham's God. 
doesn't believe in him. And he's appalled by Abraham's action. What a sad day it is when those who make no claim to believe in God or love God, when they have a higher standard of morals than we do. What a sad day. And what is often the case is, what, is that while well, they may not have those same standards for themselves because they know that you are a church-going person or you call yourself a Christian, you praise the name of God in front of them, they know that somehow your faith should have some, made some type of a difference in your life. I may have these standards for myself, but you, you're a Christian, so your standards should be way up here. Friends, your non-believing co-workers, your fellow students, your neighbors, your friends, your teammates, they are watching you. And while they may have no desire to live a life that honors God, they're watching to see if the faith that you claim to have is making a difference in your life. Are they seeing you as someone who claims to love Jesus and then walks out the door of church and lives as if he doesn't even exist? Are they seeing you give in to fear and frustration? Maybe you're swearing under your breath. Maybe you're a person who's you're cutting corners. Maybe you're cheating. Maybe you're lying. Maybe you're stealing to get ahead just a little bit. Or are the circumstances that are, are right in front of you is the environment primed in such a way that they see you giving into temptation? Well, we're all hanging out together. We're all going to go do this. And well, I, I guess I'll just jump right in too because I don't want to offend anybody. Do they see you enjoying things, living a lifestyle that you clearly should not be living as a Christian, enjoying as a Christian? And maybe they're looking at you and they're like, wow, I, uh, I didn't think they'd go along with this, but uh, cool, we'll go hang out. Do they see you gladly placing yourself under the influence of alcohol or other substances to a point where you are not you? Do they hear you talking about entertainment choices that are just dripping of immorality? Maybe they see you dipping your big toe in a pool of what is immoral. Maybe they see inconsistency. Maybe they see hypocrisy. Abimelech says to Abraham, you have done things that ought not to be done. What a tragic thing to have happened. Because Abraham had given into his fear, he destroyed any opportunity to show this king what a believer is like in the difference that God had made in his life. And the same goes for us. Unfaithfulness testifies to a watching world that our faith is folly. We think we can get away with blending in, with acting like faithful Christians at church, and then putting on some type of Halloween costume that looks just like the unbelieving world. But there are costs to that kind of behavior. There's a price to pay for our unfaithfulness. And the sad truth of the matter is, I think more often than not, those who are in desperate need to see Christ Jesus in you and I, but fail to see it, they're the ones who are paying the highest price. 
oh, but you don't understand, Jared. Uh, living out my faith in public, that'll jeopardize my career or my grade or my friendships or my hopes or my dreams. Well, I understand that in Abraham's case, he was afraid his life might be on the line. And yet that didn't make it right for Abraham either. And as he gave into that fear, he reveals to Abimelech, he reveals to his wife, to all those who were traveling with him, and for everyone who for the past, how many thousand years from where we're at to where Abraham was at, that reads of this account, he tells everyone that in this instance, he did not believe that God was big enough to meet his needs is the god that you and i that you and i believe in is he big enough to take care of us to provide for us to meet our needs does he faithfully do it can you rely on this god can you rely on him to provide financially can you rely on him to give you lasting friendships to enable us to achieve what he wants for our lives, or even experience joy and fulfillment in life. Is he able to do that? Not only did Abraham tell us that he didn't believe that God was big enough to meet his needs, he told us, at least in this case, that he was more afraid of a person, of a human being, of this king, than he was of God. He feared men rather than God. In this situation, non-believing Abimelech had more fear of God than Abraham did. Do you and I care more about what God thinks of us than what our friends and neighbors and co-workers, relatives think of us? Anyone might get lucky baking cookies. Great recipe, though, when you have a really great recipe, it delivers time and time again. And God's call for you and I as Christ followers, it's Christ-likeness. And if we're going to look like Christ, well, then our lives are going to be consistently characterized by faithfulness, because no one is more faithful than Jesus Christ. Is that your desire for your life to be characterized by faithfulness, or have you and I become content with allowing some room? It's just a little bit of room, but some room for unfaithfulness. When the, when the, when the weather is just right, when the temperature is just so when the situation meets certain criteria, well, then I reserve that little space to blow off steam, to rail at my spouse, to verbally abuse my children, to bend the truth a little bit, to take a little bit at work that I really deserve. We don't want to be those people. Well, God's going to forgive us anyway, right? What's the big deal? About 35 years ago, a man named Alistair Begg preached a sermon and gave an illustration by another pastor 
a pastor, an American pastor, who had given this illustration years and years before. And I don't know if that pastor got this illustration from somebody else. It's one of those things that I think has been passed down, passed down, passed down. I'd like to pass it down to you this morning. This pastor told of a lighthouse that stood, stood tall, it stood, stood bold on this cape, and was with all lighthouses, its worth really was in that, that blazing torch that was on top, that was giving a clear message to all ships out there that were coming in, and it, it's dark and they can't see. They would see this light, and it would prevent them from shipwreck. Well, it just so happened that on one particular occasion, a particular storm came through and it broke. It shattered one of the pieces of glass, the panels of glass that surrounded that light. And they had to special order the new piece of glass. But in the time being, they, they took a piece of plywood and put it up. And they covered that one section so the light would be protected. It would be sealed off from the elements. And from every angle except one, that blazing torch sent that message out and many ships were saved. But for the one ship coming in at just the wrong angle, it didn't see the light. And it met with tragedy. You, know, you and I might look at our lives and see marks of faithfulness. You might see them overwhelmingly outnumber the unfaithfulness in our lives. But what if, what if those few areas of unfaithfulness that we're content to live with, to let remain, and just say, well, God forgives it. What if though that area, those things, those, those weaknesses prevent someone from seeing the light of Christ? In you. My friends, we can't let that happen. We cannot let that happen. Let's never be content with unfaithfulness in our lives. Let's be on our knees praying. Let's be washing and renewing our minds with God's word all the time. And if you can't remember to do that, well, Apple has blessed us with these phones that can set reminders, study God's word, get it in your heart that I might not sin against you. And let's be a church that is not afraid. I'm not talking about being cruel. I'm not talking about being rude, but is not afraid to get so close to each other, to trust each other so much, to love each other so well that we're able to come alongside each other and say, brother, sister, it seems like, I could be wrong, but it seems like there's a weak area in your life. It seems like there's a place where you might be tempted to be unfaithful. And I just want you to know I am praying for you. If there's a way that I can help you guard it, I want to do that. That's the kind of church we want to be. A church that says, no, 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 we're not satisfied with a piece of plywood blocking our light in one area. We want to have it all shine brightly. For Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me?